Welcome to this episode of the Down the Pole podcast. On this episode, Gary and I are joined by Halifax Wanderers assistant coach Jordan Feliciano. Welcome to the show, Jordan. Thanks for having me, Anthony and Gary. Appreciate it. Yeah, we're we're really excited. I thought it would be a great opportunity for the fans to kind of get to know you a little bit. We've we've had multiple interviews with Patrice now. Like I mean, like uh, it seems to be that like he's doing an interview every second day at this stage. I don't know how he has time to actually coach the team with all this media work he's doing. So I thought it'd be a good idea for us to to get to know you. And um, so I'm just going to ask you a little bit, a few questions about your background, and then Gary is going to do the nerdy thing and get into the kind of technical tactic stuff and all those uh, step out on that one because i'm garbage that stuff so uh so so the first question when uh patrice has to come here you obviously would have been a choice for the head coach role at vaughn i suppose so why did you decide to uh come east with the gaffer um yeah i mean on a personal level i just finished my uefa badges um within the last two years and i was really 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 working hard to try to get a professional opportunity and then when Patrice got this role, um, even when he was in the interview process, to be honest, he had already reached out to me and asked me if I would consider it. So right then I was at a point in my career where I'm like, okay, I could stay at a club where I, that I loved and I was super comfortable at and, um, you know, maybe potentially get that opportunity to get the league one men's job. And, you know, look, they're playing Montreal, CF Montreal now in the Canadian championships. What a great, uh, start to my career that would have been but then it's like then what then I'm you know still in league one and um, you know this is no disrespect to anybody in that league one role or uh, the club but I was ready to move on to somewhere where I have more resources and uh, when we get an opportunity to coach at a pro club you know now I'm not working with guys that have to work during the day or students that are going to school during the day I'm working with uh, players that this is their profession and I wanted this to be my profession as much work as I was doing um, in the office and doing video and stuff like that at, at Vaughn it was not the same when you don't have that individual player like connection and part of my coaching education was heavily based on that so now I get to put what I learned into practice which was a huge um, a huge like selling point for me but then after that like meeting with Matt uh, hearing from Derek doing my own research on the city of Halifax and the club specifically talking to all the ex players that I've coached and that I know that have played here um, either for Halifax or for other clubs visiting. It was literally a no brainer. And then uh, like lastly, Patrice and I have a great relationship and we love the game and we've spent many, many, many hours together across all around North America. And um, it was a great opportunity for us to kind of continue that relationship and cut our teeth together because um, I think it was beneficial for him and me to do this uh, together. Awesome. Uh, so you mentioned there about your UEFA your licenses. You're up to your A right now, right? 
Uh, so yeah. where have you been doing your blocks? Is it like which country or was it uh, where have you been kind of doing your the main part of your, uh, your, your coaching? Well, you'll love to hear this uh, Republic of Ireland. So I did my national B in uh, I'd fly into Shannon and then head down to Galway. And I did my national B there for three blocks back in 2018, 2019. And then my, I started my a um, February, 2020 in Dublin and silly me how the world works usually i would go and i did my previous blocks and i would spend a few days in england watch a few games or spend a few extra days in ireland just to sightsee this one was a four-day block and i literally flew in the monday morning and flew out the thursday night when i was finished what a mistake that was because then the next week COVID hit and the whole world shut down so um, the rest of the blocks i had to complete uh online and then had to do my um like all my on-field and course stuff uh, through video, which was not beneficial for me because I'm I'm much, I love sightseeing, but I also love <laughs> like that personal contact. And a lot of the coaches in my uh, in my block were amazing people, and my instructors were amazing. And um, I, I'm very fond of the country of Ireland and very fond of the people there and the cities that I got to visit. So um, I'm looking forward to hopefully going back to do my UEFA Pro next year if time permits. Nice. Uh, yeah, I definitely noticed that Irish twins that's coming into your, you know, I thought I thought it was talking to Colin Farrell there for a second. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, obviously you've been, um, you've had the trip to Florida with the, the, the in the preseason, but how are you finding the city of Halifax so far? You've been here like a couple of weeks now. So how are you settling in? What's your favorite thing to do here in the city? Uh, yeah. And how are you generally liking it? Yeah, I'm settling in very well. Actually, my first weekend here, a friend of mine from Toronto came to visit and, him and I kind of like got to see all the all the sights and sounds that Halifax had to offer on the coldest weekend of the year. Um, but we got to meet a couple of people in our travels that have made my transition a lot easier in terms of uh, sightseeing. And then with the events that we've had with the club, um, you know, we've got to head to a couple of places, um, especially around the harbor front, which uh, being from my family is Portuguese and I love the city of Lisbon and Porto, like Halifax reminds me a lot of, of those two cities with the two bridges and uh, both Porto and, and Lisbon are very famous for having uh, many bridges and uh, being near the ocean like calms me and helps me feel like I'm at home and then the people are similar I guess to the my experience in Ireland like just amazing human beings like when they ask you how you're doing they actually care like it's not just in Toronto where you gotta how's it going and then like before you can answer they're already walking away like it's uh it feels like a lot more of like a family vibe and um, super friendly, like I said, and very helpful. Um, anytime I get lost or I have no idea where I am, I've I've been able to get helped along by by locals for sure. And I don't need, I mean, the GPS is useless because I've gone three different ways to the office. I've gone <laughs> sixteen different ways to Wanderers Grounds, so I'm um, I'm a little bit lost in that in that point. But I'm learning, I guess, all the main streets already and. Like I said, it's just been a good a good introduction to the city so far. I just can't wait for the summer. Has anyone stopped you yet and said, "Oh, are you the Wanderers assistant coach?" Is that actually, actually the I I got to visit the famous local establishment Dirty Nellies my first weekend here. <laughs> and I was kind of like I was standing off to the side with my friend that was here from home, and then I went to the bathroom, and then one of the guys goes up to my buddy and was like, "Hey, is that the new like Halifax coach?" And my friend kind of chuckled. It was like, "Come on, man, are you serious?" Like. There's no way this guy knows who you are. And then when I came back, uh, yeah, that was the first time I had taken photos with fans. Amazing. Um, when we did the kit reveal, it was the first time I actually signed an autograph for anybody. So it's 
I'm taking in all like the new, um, like the nuances of being a new professional coach in a, in a beautiful city with a, a lovely fan base so far. So have you got an agent yet where like, you know, for uh, all of these like supermarket openings and, and all that kind of stuff? <laughs> I do, but I haven't been called yet. So, uh, I'm, hoping, I'm hoping this interview puts me on the map for more public appearances. <laughs> Giant tiger will be on yeah. the <laughs> Or, hey, I frequented that place a lot. Of I, I heard there's a new value village opening up there, buddy. You're uh, you're, you're shooing. So, uh... Also a family favorite of mine. So, 90% of my clothes are value village, I think. Yo, it's this, a cool this yeah. Tottenham jersey is Value Village. So, um, <laughs> so, so uh, the the trip to Florida, uh, I kind of just wanted to uh, get like a little bit of an insight. How, how was it down there? How did you find the training? And obviously, we played a couple of games against some local teams down there. Plus, obviously the mighty Inter Miami too. So uh, how, how did it all go? I thought it went great. It was uh, first and foremost, just the experience for the guys to get to know each other. We had houses down there. So we had each house had eight players. Uh, the staff had our own house. Um, we did a lot of like uh, cooking meals together, whether it's the uh, coach's house hosting or the players uh, houses got to host one each um, where they made the dinners for everybody. I thought that part was invaluable and Patrice did a really good job of lining up team activities for us to do as well. Um, uh, I think that was the most important thing is just getting to know all the guys on a, a more personal level. Um, each of us were responsible for driving a van, a rental van, and we got to pick up certain players from specific houses. And, you know, those 25 minute to 45 minute drives to and from the field were, were great. Um, I think, you know, one of my favorite managers, Jurgen Klopp, said it best like we're in a people business as much as uh football is an amazing sport and it gets gets us exposed to so many great things you're working with human beings so it was it was very nice to get to meet them and them get to even know me um then after that you know from the on-field stuff you know we were running two a days uh many of the days that we were down there uh and on beautiful pitches the facilities were amazing and it's crazy that it was just like a local uh town field complex and there was like a baseball event going on and we had multiple grass pitches that we had access to and one of the one of which had like a little stadium um so it was great the training was great uh getting to learn the new concepts um that we're trying to you know instill in this group was very fun uh, and then the games were competitive uh, each team gave us a different look which was something that patrice wanted when he when he organized these uh, we started with Montverde, which was very, very athletic and dynamic. And um, they were very young, uh, very hungry and eager. And it was our first time down there in that kind of climate. So that was a huge uh, learning curve. Second game was a university, Stetson. Very aggressive, very tough to build up when, with a team that just did not stop running. But then once we went up a couple of goals, it kind of crushed their spirit. And we we're in cruise control after that. Third game, Inter-Miami. Again, tough conditions. Game was early. It was hot. Uh, we're playing in Fort Lauderdale, which is a little bit warmer than uh, than Orlando. Um, but, but, you know, once we got our opening goal, we kind of settled into the game and uh, scored another one late on just to polish it off. And then the last game against USF, more of a balanced group with some technique, some athleticism, again, giving us a different look of what to expect um, from our opponent. And, you know, the cool thing is we didn't we went into these games kind of blind. We didn't get a chance to do any um pre-match scouting it was us imposing ourselves on the match and then adjusting at halftime depending on what was going on so i think that was a great lesson for all of us we had um you know a lot of a lot of goal creating chances a lot of very good goals 
Um, you know, a lot of great defending actions, a lot of good saves from our keepers. So it was just putting all those things together. So it's just these guys remember what it feels like when we get into the regular season. And hopefully it's not, you know, so shocking for some of our, especially our first year pros. So who, uh, who made the, the best meal, who made the worst meal? Well, <laughs> we did do, we did do a surveyed vote and begrudgingly our home, we got to host twice, sorry, three times, but two of ours were on the vote, finished second last and last place. Um, Aiden Daniels, his house, they finished first. He made some uh, supreme tostadas with uh, steak, I believe it was the meat. But anyways, the tostadas were amazing. They, they handmade the guac. Like, they did a really good job. But Jan's house uh, did a great job as well. Um, they're going to be upset at me for forgetting the third house, but the third, like nobody made a bad meal, to be honest. I think it was more of a popularity contest when it came <laughs> to the end of it. Um, did, did, we, uh... only, we only got two tostadas by the way. And they were like this big, they were super small. So it was, a lot of people left there hungry that night. But it's like, like, you know, the fine tapas. dining experience, right? Yeah. It's like, ta- <laughs> like tapas, like one yeah. of the expensive tapas. Right? I'd like to lay some money on the fact that Callum Watson made beans on toast or something like that. <laughs> I'm not even sure he knows how to cook, man. I have no idea if he knows. I don't he's even know in... what his task was. Oh my he's God, still in Florida weird. trying to open a can of beans, isn't he? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that would not surprise me. Would not surprise me. Uh, typical Arsenal fan. Uh, so, um, <laughs> so, so while you were down there, uh, obviously, uh, just before I hand over to Gary, uh, Rampy was called up by uh, Trinidad and Tobago. So I just wanted to know, like, what his reaction was. Like, how did he find out the news? Was this when you guys told him, or was it he get a call up from the coach at Trinidad? And uh, how did you think he did in the in the game that he was involved in? Uh, in terms of how he actually found out, I do not know the specifics behind it, but we did announce it as a team. Uh, to the rest of the players together as a staff during one of our team meetings. Um, you know, he was with us for a few of those days and, and you know, participated in every session and uh, even played our first game. And uh, what a delightful human being. What a great guy. Like, forget the fact that he's a boss as a player, but as a human being, he's just, he's been so good with our guys and we were so happy for him. Um, you know, even the coaching staff other than Jan, we're brand new to him. He's brand new to us. But you just already sense that connection on a human level where you just want the best for him. And then talk about team bonding. We watched every game. We watched both games that he played. And um, Jan put it up on his uh, whatever knockoff Trini um, stream, whatever he pulled up. You know, the, the quality wasn't the greatest. But getting to watch him play and, and wearing the Trinidad shirt, like, I don't know. It just fills you fills you with joy because you're like, yeah, he's one of us. But more than anything, for him, what a great experience! And he got to play '90s in both, and um, you know, he looked sharp. I thought he I thought he brought like a calming presence to their midfield because some of the games, um, especially it was Guatemala was the second one that I remember that was like kind of chippy, a little bit aggressive, like uh, you know, quick back and forth, but a lot of stoppages and stuff. He was just like ever present steady eddie like whatever you know whatever term you want to use to describe him he he was very good very calming influence in the middle yeah we were all like super super proud of him here in, in halifax and you're right he's like one of the nicest people in the world and it couldn't happen to a nicer guy so uh yeah gary far away there but yeah jordan I, I this is really interesting for me because like i've never been in an elite 
football environment so I don't know how all of this stuff works but just from like watching the sport all my life I've like always been really fascinated in what it looks like if you like lift up the hood of the car almost and see how it actually works um from the inside so I was just before we started just typed out a load of questions there's not really any structure to them just scatter brain whatever came into my head first um so the first one so you obviously worked with Patrice in League One Ontario and your Vaughan team scored a lot of goals. And like I managed to watch a lot of the four matches on YouTube when Patrice was announced and like, yeah, really attacking possession, players in the five lanes when you're attacking, fullback tucking in two tens, like really, really progressive stuff. And I just wondered, like, how do you think that can translate into kind of a level up into the CPL? Um do you think there's things you'll have to tweak from that kind of way of playing to work in the league? Or do you think it's kind of a system which would work whatever context you put it in, like that would work well? Um, that's a great question. I think on a at a professional level, every coach is super organized, super detailed. Um, all things considered, I'm going to give you probably the most underwhelming and simple answer ever. The players have to execute the game plan regardless of what it is. So I, I firmly believe, and this is one of the reasons why I love working with Patrice, is I believe our style of play will trump, you know, a team that sits in a deep block that's very physical and wants to hit score on counters and hit us on set pieces. You might only get three or four corners a game, but we're going to create nine or ten chances a game. So I, I'm going to play the odds that our nine or ten chances is going to get us more goals than your three or four set pieces. So at the end of the day, I, I believe that our um, it's not just our philosophy. I mean, you look around world football, look at what Brighton's doing, look what Man City does. Like uh, Patrice and I are both heavily influenced on not so much trends, but managers that are forward thinking that have ideas that might not be conventional and they could be outside the box. We don't mind applying them. And if it doesn't work, we'll scrap it. But if it's something that we believe in, which is, you know, let's say the world's worst uh, kept secret, our one three box three formation, our one three box three was very prevalent in league one. I know a lot of league one coaches that watch video because they're on YouTube and they're free and, you know, they clip videos and they knew that our fullback was going to invert. They knew that our tens were going to come and collect off the shoulders of their sixes. Like, but you don't stop it if the quality of the players is super high. So we will always kind of like stick with our philosophy and make maybe slight adjustments um, of our defensive organization, depending on who we're playing against. But our attacking organization is very something we feel very strongly about. And as long as the players understand the roles and responsibilities and they execute in the game, we have full confidence that we'll be able to pick up points and and, and have a successful season based on that. Yeah, for sure. It's about just trusting what you do, isn't it? And trust and and once the players see that you trust that this will work over over the course of a season, if we this is repeatable, if we keep doing this, um, yeah, there will be results. You mentioned the three box three thing there as well. And like you said, it is a lot of teams are using it now, like Pep's using it, City, Brighton use it as well. Um, and I kind of wanted to talk about that idea because it is quite a modern idea, isn't it, of the left back inverting or the right back inverting. And I listened to a podcast called modern soccer coach recently and they were interviewing a college recruiter and the college recruiter did that as well and he said when he was recruiting left backs from high schools he didn't recruit left backs he recruited center midfielders because he said like the skill set they need is closer to what a center midfielder needs to be able to do rather than a left back so 
I was just wondering, like, what do you think, why do you think that is becoming such a popular thing now? What are the benefits to having your your left back invert? Is it like more in terms of possession or more in terms of stopping transitions? I'm, I mean, it's not necessarily specific to our left back, for example. Like we, we did a lot where we had two at the base of the midfield from the start of the match. So we might line up in a 4-2-3-1. So those two guys are already fixed. The box mm. became developed where... A te- or sorry, a winger would come in to be a 10 and our fullback would be the winger. So it's not necessarily specific to a left back or any other position player. Um, when you talk about the structure of our attacking organization, it gives us cover, as you mentioned, if, in case we do lose the ball, um, that our back three isn't exposed and they're not going to be on their own, like on their own island, uh, dealing with a front three potentially of the opposition if they play in a 1-4-3-3 in a or whatever orientation gives them a front three. Um, it's, it's, and it's also a lot about our buildup, what gives us a lot of options when you include our goalkeeper, you know, there's six players there that can pick up the ball between our goal line to the middle third. Like we have a lot of options and a lot of variations there with, and a lot of flexibility, which I think is important in in the modern game. So I wouldn't necessarily say it's specific to a, a player inverting. It's more the structure and how the team looks when we have the ball and God forbid, when we lose the ball. Yeah, for sure. And, and like when you lose the ball, that's another thing I'm really interested in because again, I've never been like in a professional environment, so I have no idea. Like, like as a coach who's working on the training ground with the players, like you hear like coaches and pundits talking about like re- getting back into shape during defensive transitions. So, say you lose the ball high up the pitch, like how in like a, in like layman's, like how do you coach? like during the defensive transition phase how do you coach that like do you, do you is it literally as specific as you do drills where your your 10 loses it and then everyone has to like kind of get compact and back into position as quickly as possible or is it more just like repeating those movements again and again throughout the week i'm a firm believer that like the game is the teacher so when we play at the end of the sessions like there to your point there are activities that we use where we will manufacture a loss of possession and then the reaction. Um, But in the sessions, I think a lot of it happens live. Like while the ball's being lost, um, you know, the ball might be on the right side of the field, but I'm looking at the players on the left side of the field and how they react and how they behave. And there's nothing worse than getting called out, like by name in the middle of the session while the ball's going down the other side of the field. So I think, that is more kind of my, we don't necessarily do a lot of like stop, hold it there, balls here, you go here in the defensive transition phase. That's more of a ball's lost. Are we trying to win it back? Or are you trying to get back and cover? You know, if it's a corner or a set piece somehow, and you're not in your position, you are actually looking for cover. You're looking to delay the opposition so that guys can get back in position because as most teams do, you know, you send your taller players in for a corner. Well, those taller players sometimes are your center backs. So, you know, we, we have to have players that are equally adept at stopping counterattacks in positions that are not traditionally theirs, like a fullback being last man back to a center back. Um, so it's it's more, it happens live. It happens live during the sessions and um, not necessarily with designed activities, but just specifically we work on it during the games. Yeah, you say that. I watched um, Man City Liverpool at the weekend, and the exact thing happened to City. And the person that cut out the the last ball was Jack Grealish, who is the last person you'd expect to be like the <laughs> final man tracking back and defending. So you need like those different types, don't you? Doing that, doing the dirty work to to stop that from happening. 
Um, I was wondering next, like, if I kind of named different positions or roles or whatever in the team, if you could talk to me about like what what you see a player who plays there in a Jordan Patrice team, like what qualities they need to work in that position and what um, what their physical attributes are, what their technical attributes are and things like that. Um, so if you think about what you and Patrice like your team to look like, what does what does a centre forward need to be able to do? That's a great question, Gary. I wish you told me to bring my uh, UEFA license <laughs> thesis up so that I could actually go through all of this with you. Uh, a centre forward. So that's that's a cool question because none of our three centre forwards are the same. And that's what I love. Yeah, that's about. what I thought. Theo looks like quite quick. Coimbra's big. Uh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. yeah, no, you nailed it. Like our the physical profiles of Tiago and Kosi are probably closer together than, than Theo, but uh Theo as a footballer is more of like a an Antoine Griezmann like a false nine a guy that can kind of roam between lines and connect you know our midfielders with our center forward with, with our wingers with our uh any attacking players basically so for me to just make it as general as possible your center forward has they have to be able to recognize space create space for themselves and for others uh exploit the space that the opposition gives them so when I say that I mean like uh, it's like a run past the last line. Like, go and ask for a long ball. Go and ask for maybe a, a, a through pass that's a little bit deeper than what we normally do. Like, everyone wants to pass to the top of the 18-yard box, but I don't know if you know anything about space. When you get to the top of the 18, space is mm -hmm. at a premium. There's less. So that last pass has to be precise. That last action to goal has to be precise. It's a lot more difficult. So um, like I said, just to make it as simple as possible, we need someone that's able to recognize space, recognize when to exploit it, when to check, when to check into it to receive, and then be able to combine, be able to dribble, be able to be a playmaker, um, you know, be able to be comfortable being in other spaces other than the center of the park. So if you make like an inside to outrun towards the corner flag, you got to be like a winger where you can beat a man 1v1 and serve across or cut the ball back to a player like arriving late at the top of the box. So we're, we look for flexible players that aren't necessarily um, one specific uh, profile. And, and we like to work with a multiple um, with multiple profiles in that position. That's great. Yeah. Um, the next one, and I'm going to kind of bake in a more, not really a wonder a specific question into this is like, so when I've, again, when I've watched, the Vaughan games from last season. It looked like there were two tens playing, but the camera angle was quite low down. So I might have got that wrong. But just and I'm thinking about this because I'm Arsenal fan and Mesa Ertzel retired recently. And I think you can like it's really interesting when you look at six, seven years ago, Mesa Ertzel and now Martin Odegaard. And they're both kind of ostensibly tens or eights. They're both playing in like that half space on the right side in that pocket, but they're doing completely different things. So just really like what you think about how a 10 has changed over the past 10 years and how kind of this, I, I just don't think this idea of a player who kind of plays in the pocket and plays through balls that really exists so much anymore. And when you think about, sorry, there's about a million questions in one ear, but like when you think about how you guys play, like do you expect your 10 to be doing all of that pressing and, and running as well? Or do you think that kind of idea of an Ertzul type still even exists in the modern game? I mean, I think we can look around the world and answer that question about the modern 10s. There's very, and I got a chance to watch Mazzarozio live at Real Madrid and, 
like what a joy it was to watch his spatial awareness and his ability, like you said, to pick up the ball in pockets and uh, be able to connect with Benzema, Ronaldo and Bale at the time. Like he was just a yeah, joy to watch, but those players are going away because, you know, they're the modern game. So many teams are so good. You can't afford to have a player that kind of coasts or doesn't press or doesn't work defensively. So I'm so happy you mentioned a guy like Odegaard because like most football nerds, I followed Odegaard's career since he was signed at 15. And I'm like, oh, next wonder kid, blah, blah, blah. You watch him play. You know, I think I watched him closely um, in Spain. And I'm like, okay, he's got something, but he's lacking a lot. Like, what's he missing? Then when he went on loan to Arsenal, I, I thought his game started to grow. And now he's becoming more influential, but he's also kind of learning that, especially in the Prem, you cannot take your foot off the gas when you don't have the ball. You, are, you have to be responsible defensively. So I think we're more Odegaard and less Ozil. When I say we, I mean Patrice and I, um, where I'll, I'll just use a guy like Aiden Daniels that's very familiar to the, to the fans and stuff. But Aiden is um, kind of a hybrid between Ozil and Odegaard, and we're trying to drag him into the Odegaard mold where he's going to be, you know, one of our pressing attacking mids. If our striker gets beat, we're going to have to have two attacking midfielders that are able to step out other comfort zone and go stop a center back from dribbling or go stop a six from receiving. So that's that, that I think is the clearest picture I can paint you is um, we want more older guards in the team where guys that can still create, still score, still involved in everything. The guy takes set pieces. He, he does it all, but they also have to help the defensive structure not get compromised by kind of floating or, or being passive when the team doesn't have the ball. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned Aiden then because he's like he's a player like before last season started. I was so big on him. I thought he was I thought he was going to absolutely dominate the league, and I still think talent wise he's because he does something. He drives, doesn't he? Like when he's got the ball, he's not one of the, he can do the combination ticky tacker stuff. But like I think what he wants to do is kind of again pick it up in the pocket and then just drive forward. Which I don't I don't see that many players doing that anymore really most players like all kind of head up look for a pass quickly but if you've got a player that can do that it's just with him I never I can never figure out where would be the best player on the pitch for him because you kind of you see him as like a left like on paper as a left winger but I think maybe he's wasted oh yeah I, I kind of go back and forth on him like is he someone you guys see as one of those players playing on the interior rather than out wide yeah in terms of like everything we've done so far in the preseason he has taken sets uh, on the left, but he's mostly been taking sets in the middle and um, he scored an amazing goal in our last game in Florida. And like, you should see the stuff this kid does with the ball. Sometimes you're just like, how the heck did he roll it from one foot, bring it to the other foot in stride and then destroy two guys at once. Like he's, he's very, very like technical with the ball and does some magic things. And when he does get in a groove and he's combining and moving into short spaces, like it's very, very fun to watch. We just are, our, our challenge um, and his challenge is going to be like, how do you connect all that wonderful technique and passing ability and shooting ability into hard numbers, you know, something statistical that um, is tangible stuff we can read. I can see that you scored. I can see that you assisted, yeah. even if it's a secondary assist or an action that creates a secondary assist. Like we just want a player like him with all the talent that he has to be dangerous. Like mm. just don't be a good player, be a dangerous player that, you know, now all of a sudden teams in the league are going to zero in on him and be like, okay, we can't let Aiden get on the ball because he's so influential in the attack. I'm not sure if he has that yet. I think everybody respects his talent, but not everybody 
uh, fears him. And I think I would love to see that version of him where people are fearful of him because he really does have a lot to be fearful of if I'm the opposition. Yeah, like I said, talent-wise, I think he's in the top bracket. It's just about getting him to into places on the pitch where he can where he can use that. Um, talk talking about kind of the newer players. How involved were you in the recruitment side of things, or was that more Patrice and Matt working together? Um, I was as involved as they wanted me to be. So every single player, I think, bar Lorenzo, because Lorenzo, I could only catch video on YouTube, but every other player. I was able to, we had another platform that we were using for a bit that I was able to watch video on and Patrice would send me, you know, hours of clips and highlight videos of different players from around the world. And um, it was actually very uh, enjoyable experience for me because it was new. Like I, I got to see players from edges of the, of the universe that I didn't even know existed. So that was interesting. But the players that we did end up signing, um, I know because Patrice trusts me, he's going to, he's going to send that stuff to me and we're going to have discussions on players, but you know, at the end of the day, him, it was him himself and Matt that kind of had to rubber stamp and put the final touches on those negotiations. I was very minimally involved. It was more the local guys that um, I got the chance to be privy to those conversations or, you know, be asked to, to take a call on my own or to call a player on my own, but that's not really, my specialty, like my specialty is definitely on the field, you know, working with people and, and breaking down the soccer part of it. Uh, that's an area of growth that I need. And, you know, I was happy to be involved in it as much as I was, but I would say, yeah, all credit to Patrice and Matt for, for pulling the guys that we were able to pull because we have a fun group of kids. So where does Jed fit into all this? Like Jed is an assistant coach too, right? So where does he fit into the dynamic of you and Patrice? So Jed, and I hope he doesn't mind me sharing this, Jed ha had a very uh, good role in his previous club and he was very like happy and comfortable with where he was. So that was more of a, that came a bit later. Like the team was kind of already formed um, more or less when he kind of came on board. So Jed's uh, roles and responsibilities in our, I guess in our dynamic is more individual based. Like the guy's brain is unreal. Like the way he sees the game, his, his abilities to break down clips and, and video and uh, tag them very well and, and be able to share those with our players is invaluable because it's, it's something that not a lot of coaches take pride in. And he does. Um, I think he's, you know, his communication skills are great. The fact that he has an accent, I think already gets him more respect uh, than myself <laughs> and Patrice, but he's, uh, he's been very, very good. And then he's, he's in charge of our, kind of reserves slash U23s, whatever uh, we're going to brand them as. But um, that whole development piece, because he's also a builder at his last club, he did a very good job building building out from grassroots into a competitive club that um, had older players that moved on and did great things. He's going to be part of our development piece at the club where we're trying to bring in uh, local players um, from our area, be able to monitor them, scout them, develop them, bring them into sessions, run sessions for them um that's going to be a large part of his uh of his like his plate but in terms of the first team like he, he's been amazing the guy's on the field every day um he's in the video room he's probably cutting video <laughs> right now for our meetings tomorrow so yeah he's, he's an invaluable member to our squad because uh he helps kind of oversee the things that you know patrice and i weren't necessarily privy to um, working in like the amateur levels before and Jed has pro experience, which is great because um, he's very helpful when it comes to team, di team dynamics, things that are 
you know, in the changing room, kind of off the field stuff. And he's been, he has great perspective, which I think helps a lot. Yeah. I, I, I kind of, that, that kind of off the field stuff. I, I watched um, the Arsenal all or nothing documentary and like been reading stuff about what Arteta does this as well, like this season. And there's so much, so much other stuff that goes into it. Like I was even reading about how now for away games, the Arsenal coaching staff decorate the away change room in exactly the same way and almost try and cover all of the walls with these same arsenal posters and stuff and just as they're like kind of those micro details of let's try and control that environment so it always feels familiar instead of like this scary place so yeah that side of it's fascinating as well um you mentioned like obviously you're on the training pitch with the players day in day out is there anyone or two who have like kind of pleasantly surprised you who you've been like oh shit they're really good like I didn't know they'd be as good as that. I'll probably get slandered for this because yeah. one of them's Portuguese and one of them's Brazilian, but Wesley <laughs> Timoteo, uh, we're calling him our Bernardo Silva and <laughs> Thiago Coimbra, which we have a running joke that he's probably going to have more as many slide tackles as goals this year because <laughs> that kid, I mean, he doesn't like it, but I, I called him Darwin Nunez at the beginning, and he was not a fan at all. Calling a Brazilian a Uruguayan probably doesn't help, but what I meant by that was that if Darwin is a, a former Benfica player, I'm a Benfica fan. I got to watch Darwin Nunez kind of like at his peak of his powers with Benfica. I don't think Liverpool's seen the best of him. That guy is a machine. He does not stop running. He does not stop pressing. He does not stop looking for balls behind. Um, you know, he was last year in the Champions League against Liverpool, which is why they signed him in the first place. He was an absolute demon. So when I look at a kid like Thiago, I did not know what to expect. I'd seen him in videos. He, he looked very physical, but this was like playing with the U-20s. Like some of the guys aren't as big. But now playing with men, like watching him training with men, playing with men, like he's a bully, man. He is an absolute monster. And he's deceptively fast like once he gets going um you know we looked at some of his numbers from the usf game for example some of his running and pressing numbers were like off the chart so i think for me that impressed us the most um and for me specifically was just like i didn't know what to expect and as you frame the question he pleasantly surprised me because he is a younger player um but he's not cut from the same cloth as some of the Canadian kids. Like he is raw, gets after it, wants to fight, compete, win everything, whether it's rondos, soccer, tennis, uh, whatever the game is, he's super competitive. And like, I, I love, I love watching him and I love his enthusiasm. And for a guy who, you know, I think he wouldn't mind me sharing this. Like we think technically he has to develop a bit more like with the ball at his feet, but the kid scored three goals, assisted one, and then scored another two in three matches. So it's like, you know, he, he's got something. He, there's something there that he's he's going to – he has potential to be very, very special if he keeps up on this path. And he's very keen to learn, which is great. Um, and then to go back to Wesley, like Wesley's like an everyman. Like he does everything. The guy takes corners, free kicks, can shoot with his left – he's left-footed, scored a goal with his right foot in our inner squad game the other day. Um, he's just a joy to watch. Like – whether he's playing left wing, attacking mid, right wing, you know, left back. We had him pegged had him pegged as a left back at the start of the season before we got Ryan James. And now like moving him up, I think has been such a such a joy for us. And I'm sure for him too, because now he's closer to goal. And 
He's creating goals, scoring goals himself. He scored against Inter Miami uh, to finish the game off. So um, he's just, and, and this might sound super stereotypical, but he looks like a Portuguese player. He's very clean. He's very tidy, uh, very technical, understands space himself. Um, you know, he doesn't do anything like off the charts special, but he just does everything at a very, very consistent and high, high capacity. So um, those two probably have been the most surprising for me. But I mean, everybody's, it sounds corny to say because everybody is new to me other than the guys from Vaughn and the guys that were here last year that I was able to scout. Um, but those two specifically jump out right when you ask me that. Yeah, I love that. I mean, Coimbra, like you don't go through the Palmeiras Academy where who have just produced Endrick, who's going to Real Madrid for however many million. Um, Nottingham Forest signed a guy from their academy recently as well. So it's obviously like as, as like an education, that's as high as you can get really in, in world football. So he's going to have the tools. And Timoteo, yeah, Timoteo, even for Edmonton last year was a productivity monster. Like, like the, num- the goals and assist numbers he was putting up for a team who were pretty poor like that kind of like stands out straight away as someone who if you put him near to goal he's gonna he's gonna make something happen so yeah I'm delighted he's back um I've only got like a couple more questions and then I'll put you back over to Ant or let you go but um kind of looking outwards at the league and the other clubs in the league have you and Patrice kind of looked at teams like Forge who have been successful in this league and thought about like Right, what is it that those sorts of teams are doing that has made them so successful from like a style of play, from the way they kind of manage the groups and run the organization and things like that? Have you like have you kind of found anything out from looking at the other clubs about what we maybe need to do that they do? Uh no. I would <laughs> say that if everybody did that, um, we'd all kind of look the same. I will yeah. say as a complimentary piece. I think Forge has done an exceptional job and like, I love Bobby and Bobby's been good to me and all my interactions with him over the years when he was at Sigma and I was at Vaughn. Then even when he moved into Forge, um, you know, I've had interactions with him, whether we played them in friendly games or um, he was around some of our league one stuff. Like they're fantastic people. They do have a fantastic organization and they've done extremely well uh, to win three of the four seasons so far at CPL. Um, But if I'm honest, like we did things our own way at Vaughn, not our own way, sorry, the way that we feel most comfortable that we feel is going to bring us success because what works for Forge doesn't work for Calvary because Calvary does it differently, but Calvary's also been successful um, in the season being competitive. So to me, no, we're, I think we're going to find our own way, um, even organizationally structure off the field, like, we're putting processes in place as we go because we're learning every day. There's a new kind of thing that jumps out at us. And it's like, Oh, we didn't think about that before, you know, even planning our first, you know, nine days away from home has been uh, an interesting new adventure because we've never done planned a trip like this before where, you know, you're, you're having to deal with uh, facilities um, you know, when can we get on the field that we're playing on all that kind of stuff. So I think we're, we're comfortable enough. And I think, maybe our ego is strong enough that we're going to, we're going to live and die by the way that we want to do it. And if it's successful, great. Uh, we'll feel even better. And if it's not success, successful, sorry, hopefully we'll find um, lessons and, and some of the things that we, that we aired and then just fix it, clean it up, fix it and, and be better for it in the future. But yeah, no, we, uh, to answer your question, 
no, we're not going to model ourselves off of anybody else. Love that. Yeah. Um, I'll put you back over to Ant now, but cheers for answering those sorts of questions. I think like, I think just from talking to my friends who follow the league, like there's a massive appetite to like, for us again, as a layman to learn about all of this sort of tactical stuff that goes into it as well. And I think the league, the stuff they put out and understandably, like it has to be quite surface level because they want to get new fans in and you don't want to scare anyone off. But it's nice to like have people involved in the club and the league who can talk, about the game at a different level and it's yes very very interesting so appreciate that yeah we've been really lucky with the league and the clubs that you know that the people like yourself will come front and center and actually get into the the details of it um so like we really appreciate doing this uh but i just had like one or two more just um friday obviously it's going to be your, your first game here in halifax in front of the fans uh how are you looking forward to it and obviously it's three games and two days or whatever it is. So uh, how's that all uh, planning out for you? Uh, good. I mean, my family's coming from my hometown for uh, Easter weekend. So a nice little good Friday, Friday night lights uh, will be fun for us. Um, we've just kind of been working through our roster and deciding, you know, who plays Friday night, majority minutes, who plays Saturday morning, majority minutes, and um, kind of, you know, navigating through players that, maybe short on match fitness or guys that are returning from injury or guys that are freshly injured and, you know, how, uh, how much will they be involved? So we're working through that on a daily basis, but I just think as a, as a group and as a team, we're just so excited to get in front of like our own fans. We've been playing all these games on the road and, you know, even last year when Halifax did a majority of their uh, preseason in, in Ontario, us, us at Vaughn being one of the teams they played against, like it must be tough. Like it gets, gets taxing after a while where, you know, you don't see anybody familiar in the stands. And I think that's where, um, especially for the guys that have been here before, uh, um, that already have like a solid fan base that I saw, especially at the, the kit reveal, that it'll be fun to actually have those connections made now because we have a, a home opener on the 29th. And I would love for this to be just a, a sweet precursor to what they're going to see at the end of the month um, in terms of the brand of football, the types of goals we score, types of chances we create. Uh, the types of performances we hope that get people even more excited to come out on the 29th because that's where well, that's where it really counts. So we're looking forward to this weekend. Yeah, I, I love that they've uh, made an open house too. So, you know, if uh, if you've never been to a Wanderers a game, you have the chance to just pop up and check it out and see what all the fuss is about. <laughs> so I'm, I'm pretty excited for that. And just on a, a personal question for me, I'm a Celtic fan, obviously being from the, the, the South in Ireland. This, this kid, Alistair Johnson, uh, did you, did you and Patrice always know he was going to skyrocket like this? Or has it just been a, good, a, sh- a shock to you guys as, as um, how far how far he's come in such a uh, short space of time? Um, I don't think it shocked us. And I'd be lying to you if I said I always knew that this was going to be his future. Like, Alistair, I've gotten a – I had the absolute pleasure of working with him and um, his younger brother, who's uh, three years his junior – I worked with his younger brother since he was 13. So I've known the family for many years since 2014. And, um, you know, it's, they're just an amazing group of people, but getting to work with Alistair at the beginning, he was um, like, he was a six. He played a a defensive midfielder role. That was like a Sergi Busquets where he was coming low to collect the ball and he was able to spray a ball 70 yards to switch it. And he was a very, very tidy footballer. And when he went away to college, I think that's where the curve started to turn from because he started realizing like college is not a, not a place for you to be a six. Like it is fast paced 
It is aggressive. It is physical. It's everything against what he was kind of brought up learning. And then when he came back, I think, I think this is where I kind of knew he was different. When he came back his first Christmas after his first semester at school, he had put on some muscle vascular like he looked like a he was made in a lab now whereas before he was very skinny and he was very skinny and slender go back and watch us playing against Halifax with Vaughn and the can champs like he didn't look that way and then he comes back and he looks amazing he would ride his bike from his hometown Aurora to Vaughn which is probably took him two hours because it's all like back roads and side streets and country roads and stuff like that then train with us and then maybe his mom or his dad would pick him up, throw the car in the back of a station wagon and take him home. But I always knew he was a bit different. But when he came back that first semester and basically told me he's not having fun in the style of play, but he's learning how to win headers. He's learning how to win 50-50s. He's learning how to chase knockdowns. He's learning how to slide tackle. Like when he was <laughs> like speaking to me with that enthusiasm, I was like, oh yeah, this guy will be fine. Like, you know, the, 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 I guess the knock on Canadian players is that we, we don't, we're not able to deal with adversity or challenges or, or things that are different. Uh, oh, I played a four, three, three. I'm a, I'm a center defensive midfielder. Well, he was put like up top in a four, four, two or wide, right. in a four, four, two, he was put in different situations that ideally most kids would crumble. And he just like got better and better and better and better transferred to wake forest. Again, played at the base of a midfield two. They played a four, two, three, one, if I'm not mistaken, uh, right back goes down. They had another center mid that they could play that they felt comfortable in, but didn't have a right back. Coach asked him if he can fill in. Guy ends up having an unreal year, becomes the captain the senior year. Um, you know, we all knew MLS was going to be next. You know, you never anticipate a guy going to MLS and making that jump so quickly to, you know, the SPL, which is like <laughs> Celtic is a world renowned club. Like, it's not like he's going to play for Hibs, no disrespect to Hibs yeah. fans. But he's playing for Celtic, which is the biggest club, one of the two biggest clubs in the country. And, you know, it's a brand. I watched him play at the Bernabeu like three, four months ago. So, um, yeah, did I always know that he would end up where he was? Maybe not as quickly as it happened, but I always knew that he was different. And a kid with that kind of determination and that kind of uh, ability to learn and want to learn, man, like you're, you're setting yourself up for success. So I, I'm so happy with the success that he has had. Because he like genuinely and truly he earned. I love it. I love it. Uh, he, I, I just, I just love how he his approach to the game. Uh, you know, he when he's on the pitch, he's he's a demon. But when he's off it, he's uh, just a humble kind of guy. And uh, yeah, I, I really enjoy watching him. So Jordan, thank you so much for uh, for joining us and giving us such an in depth uh, look into tactics and you know uh, being so open and honest with us. We really appreciate it, buddy. And uh, look forward. To, I hope you hope you do well on the weekend. I won't be there because I've got COVID. So, uh, Gary, take your notepad. Uh, you'll need it for yeah, next I'm week. I'm bringing my camping gear down yeah. there. I'm going <laughs> to camp over overnight. I, I, I think nice. Denton is like bringing a campfire or something. He's talking about like having breakfast Jeez. and coffees and all that kind of stuff. So, and uh, we were all really disappointed at uh, the fans here that the uh, trip to the party plane got cancelled. Mm. So. Porter can go to hell. So yeah, um, <laughs> thanks, Jordan. Really appreciate it. Um, hopefully, see you soon, buddy. Hopefully, you get better, Thanks, Anthony. Jordan. And thank yeah. you guys both for having me. Appreciate it.